And it's time for Journalism Corner this week, our weekly chat with a fascinating journalist from somewhere across the country. First, though, uh, a text from Wayne in Raleigh. Uh, Hi, Ben. I used to use cash fairly frequently these days, but ran into trouble at Ben & Jerry's in Virginia Beach, Virginia this summer. They don't take cash. My dad is rolling over in his grave these days. Uh, Thanks for that, Wayne. I was saying I was just in the UK. I was in London. And uh, a lot of places don't take cash. And you can just imagine that that's going to come here sooner or later because it's just so much easier, I guess, for companies, for smaller, especially businesses, retail spots, restaurants, and so on, not to use cash. You know, it's just it's quicker, isn't it? Well, to Alberta now, as promised, where the leadership char- change at the helm of the party and the province triggered when Jason Kenney announced his resignation back in May comes to a conclusion tomorrow. Seven candidates are fighting for the job. Uh, the front runner appears to be Danielle Smith, the former Wild Rose Party leader. And certainly a lot of debate around this race is centered on her proposal called the Alberta Sovereignty Act, which in theory would grant the province the right to refuse enforcement, refuse to enforce federal laws and court rulings deemed hard harmful to the interests or a federal intrusion. Here is Danielle Smith. I think that um, the approach that I'm taking is one, in fact, that Albertans have been asking for for some time. So I do feel like we've got a mandate to defend the Constitution and defend the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. Well, critics, including legal scholars, say such a bill is not only illegal, but it would create a constitutional crisis. Kenny himself has said the act would turn the province into a banana republic. Here is Jason Kenny. The so-called Sovereignty Act... uh, would effectively take us to the brink of separation from the Canadian Federation, would shred the rule of law, and would do devastating damage to jobs, the economy, and the prospect of pipelines. So this is what is going on in the foreground. In the background, people are actually still able to vote, I think, up until tomorrow. Uh, This isn't all Albertans voting, by the way, for a person who will not only be the new leader of the UCP, but also their new premier designate. uh, That's down to United Conservative Party members by preferential ballot, meaning you rank your favorite and work down from there. And we will know the result, we believe, by this time tomorrow for sure. Uh, Joining me now with more on this is Dave Breckenridge. He's the managing editor of the Edmonton Journal at Edmonton Sun and host of the 10-3 podcast and a regular here on a little more conversation. Thanks so much for your time tonight. Not a problem, Ben. Glad to be here. So is, I guess, I mean, this is it. We're down to, uh, we're down to the nitty gritty. We'll know tomorrow. Is, uh, is Daniel Smith believed to be in the lead? What could go wrong? Uh, yeah. I mean, it's one of those, it's one of those tricky uh, leadership races where, you know, you can't do public opinion polls. Cause as you mentioned in the little preamble, not all Albertans can vote, so public opinion doesn't necessarily factor in here. Um, we've seen some polling of UCP members, and we've seen some polling um, that suggests that Danielle Smith is is in the lead, is the front runner, and it. I think it ultimately comes down to what the ballots look like. I, I you know, I. I referenced the federal conservative race that just saw Pierre Poiliev win. He won a majority on the first ballot. The question is, does Daniel Smith have enough going for her right now? If these polls are to be believed, these polls of UCP members, if if she is the front runner, does she have enough steam on the first ballot to to carry a victory or does she have enough for a majority on the first ballot? Not none of the polls that I've seen suggest that she has that kind of support for a first ballot victory. So I guess, you know, we'll see what happens Thursday evening, but could she conceivably win on, you know, second, third, fourth, fifth ballot? 
sure. It, it all depends on, on how she does on that first vote. I've heard someone, I heard uh, a colleague of mine say that if she's got 45% support on the first ballot, it's likely a done deal. If, you know, she's in the 40 or less, could be tricky. We could have an Andrew Scheer situation, you know, if you cast your minds back a few years to the federal conservative leadership race where Andrew Scheer kind of surprised a lot of people and, and beat out perceived frontrunner Maxime Bernier to take the federal conservative leadership. So it all, you know, it all, it all comes down to the ballots. And, and as you say, uh, we'll know 24 hours from now where we sit. Yeah, I, I covered the Liberal leadership race when Stefan Dio won. If you can imagine the surprise in the room when that happened, uh, we all know that this is that wasn't preferential rank. We all know what happens when uh, when people have to list their candidates, and when you have one candidate who can be a bit polarizing, such as Danielle Smith appears to be, um, if she's nobody's second choice, then that changes the whole dynamic, doesn't it? Who would be the other potentials? I mean, I know obviously Brian Jean has been his name's mentioned a lot. Travis Taves, uh, Leela Heer, uh, Rajan Swani, uh, Rebecca Schultz. Todd Lowen, uh, there's a lot of people out there. I hope I got all their names right. Um, but certainly was, Brian Jean seems to hang on. Okay. I, I did study them all, by the way. I do do that. <laughs> but I think Brian Brian Jean, obviously someone who thought might be a front runner going in. Yeah, no, I mean, he's still, if you were to look at the candidates, and, and I feel like because of his name recognition, because of his past as opposition leader, look, this is a guy who, after Daniel Smith, and several of her Wild Rose MLAs crossed the floor to join the progressive conservatives under Jim Prentice's premiership. Everyone thought, well, maybe that's the death knell for the Wild Rose Party. Well, no, a lot of people in the Wild Rose Party didn't want to go join the PCs, and so they stuck around, and this guy, Brian Jean, former conservative MP from Fort McMurray, comes in to take leadership of the Wild Rose and wound up being official opposition leader after voters told the PCs to take a hike and they elected the NDP as, as government back in 2015. So Brian Jean has name recognition. Brian Jean has a track record of being an effective opposition leader. Now, do enough members want to see him as premier? I don't know. It's, it's remains to be seen. I think it's really interesting what's going to happen with these, you know, these second place ballots, because you're right. If, if, you're a candidate who no one likes as their second choice. You could be first place on the first ballot and then not win. But I have a sense that there are enough Brian Jean voters who probably look at the candidates and think that Daniel Smith may be their second place vote. And there's enough Todd Lowen voters who Todd Lowen was, you know, famously kicked out of, of caucus for criticizing the premier over COVID health restrictions. He's a rural MLA he's kind of tapping into the same support that Daniel Smith has. And so if you get enough second place votes from Todd Lowen's camp and you get enough second place votes from Brian Jean's camp, if you're in a good position after the first ballot, you could find yourself premier. That's not to count out Brian, uh, Travis Taves, Travis Taves seen as another front runner in this race, seen as kind of the more establishment candidate. He's, you know, a Kenny cabinet minister. He was most recently finance minister. Um, he's kind of running on continuing the the path that the government set out under Jason Kenny. And, you know, there were in the leadership review back in May, it was only 50, it was 51% of the party members who voted there that wanted to see Kenny stick around. So 
can Travis Taves tap into those people who felt the gov- Kenny and the government were doing a good job? It's, it, I mean, it's fascinating math, and it's one of those things where I wish I could, I could predict. I wish I could know what was going to happen, but I also like this, this, un- this sense of the unknown where you think you might know what's going to happen, but you, could, you, you live to be surprised in this business. Absolutely. Um, can any of them, I mean, I, I guess, is there a sense of, are people watching this? Because I got the sense from from reading about and listening and watching the news and so forth that there was a bit of a disconnect with what uh, candidates were arguing about, such as the sovereignty, the sovereignty proposal, um, versus some of the real pocketbook issues that are really on people's minds in Alberta right now, and that the UCP leadership race kind of drifted into something a bit strange and a bit out of touch, it felt like. Well, it, I mean, I've, I agree with you there. I found the whole race kind of strange for those reasons is you had and you have these these very important economic issues. You have, you know, inflation. Uh, you have a healthcare system that has been rocked by two plus years of uh, a viral pandemic. Um, there's questions around the, the K to 12 school curriculum. There's post-secondary funding. There's, you know, what do we do? as the country and the world potentially moves away from, from oil, there's all of these fascinating issues. And then Daniel Smith comes along and taps into to a, a sense of anger that, that's been prevalent within the party for a while and uses that as rocket fuel to, to let her campaign take off. And then everyone got up in arms about it and, everyone just started attacking that position. And so that became the overarching narrative in the race, but you're right. There is a disconnect and the, the race hasn't been discussing the issues that, that I think that a lot of people were hoping that it would, but at the same time, people in Alberta, at least I think are fascinated or, or at least, you know, they're on tenterhooks waiting to see who the premier is going to be. And is it going to be this candidate who's, who's expressed a desire to be very combative with the federal government and, and even with the public service here, you know, Daniel Smith has talked about, you know, Alberta health services, letting people down during the pandemic and being too top heavy and has talked about even the, the, the public service within the provincial government, you know, needing to, kind of get in line with the way the government wants to go or, or needing to cut down the size of the public service. And, and yeah, it's, it is fast. With all this, I, you know, the, the, the NDP waiting in the wings, right? There's an election in the spring. Someone that Albertans <laughs> will have their say soon enough. Yeah. And I mean, that's the other fascinating piece of it, right? Is, is this idea that the UCP could elect a leader who, while he or she may be more popular than his or her predecessor could still come out of this without the kind of bump that you would normally get after a leadership race where the party sees a bump in the polls could be really behind the eight ball when it comes to fighting a campaign against uh, an NDP that has been fundraising for years and has been really attacking the government every single day on every single issue and seems to be spoiling for a fight. And, the only thing that might give the UCP a glimmer of hope is the fact that some recent polling that I've seen, I think was reported on by my post-media colleague Rick Bell at the Calgary Sun, um, is that, sure, people may not like Daniel Smith or they may not like Brian Jean or they may not like Travis Taves broadly across Alberta, 
they're not exactly sold on the NDP and Rachel Notley either. There's still a there's still a huge undecided. I think there might be a lot of UCP voters who've kind of parked their vote in the undecided camp for now. And and so there's some opportunity there for potentially to have a provincial election that's more competitive than the NDP would want and more competitive than a lot of people who don't like the UCP may think it's going to be at this point. We will never support misguided policies, fear-mongering, or the seizure of private property. Alberta taxpayers pay over $750 million per year for the RCMP, and we will not tolerate taking officers off the streets in order to confiscate the property of law-abiding firearms owners. Tyler Shandro, Alberta's Justice Minister there. Uh, another fight, uh, Dave Breckenridge, between Ottawa and the federal government. This one about this buyback program that goes back to that 2020 legislation banning more than 1,500 style, assault-style weapons. Uh, Alberta does, doesn't want to help out with this. Who's, on the, who's in the right here, do you think, according to the letter of the law, at least? Well, I mean, I mean first off... It's not like Alberta likes to fight with Ottawa or anything. That's no, just, no, that's no, of course new, not. <laughs> new and different around these parts. Um, look, as much as it probably pains me to say it, uh, it feels like the federal government is in the right here. No matter what you think about the Liberals' gun policy, I find it a bit rich for Tyler Shandro to start talking about taking officers off the streets in order to confiscate the property of law-abiding firearms owners, as he puts it. Yes, you can argue that, you know, up until two years ago, these people were law-abiding gun owners, and then the, the feds come along and, and ban this style of weapon, and then what do you do with all of these guns? You know, and I'm sure the, the vast majority of them have never been used to commit a crime, will never be used to commit a crime, but as it stands, the government has said that they are now illegal and you have to get rid of them or you have to make them unusable, right? So right. under the letter of the law, it sounds like the, the feds would be in the right. That said, you know, <laughs> it is for, for gun owners, and I don't, I'm not a gun owner. I, I, support, I support the right of people to own guns. As a gun owner, I could see why this would be a huge slap in the face. It's it's these people have been doing nothing wrong for years. And then the federal government comes along and says, oh, yeah, the thing that you own in your house that you use and store appropriately is now illegal. And now you have to get rid of it. That's got to be frustrating. Yeah. Looking, I mean, at, I, looking at the yeah. politics of it all, though, I mean, it is we were just talking about Daniel Smith and her sovereignty act and telling, you know, passing a law that would allow the province to ignore federal federal law and Jason Kenney coming out and saying it would create a banana republic. And here we have one of Jason Kenney's cabinet ministers saying we're not going to enforce this federal law in Alberta. They can, I mean, Kenney and, and, the, and the UCP can't have it both ways on the issue, can they? I think they probably, I mean, what struck me about this is that the idea that people would be upset, I get, and the politics of it is clearly politics, and there's no problem with that. The idea that somehow this is a public safety issue and taking these officers off the street would, I mean, that to me just sounded ridiculous. I mean, it, the whole thing is a bit, is a bit, is a bit, I mean, it's all politics, right, really? Yeah. Oh, I mean, there. I think there there is something to be said that, like, how are these resources going to be allocated? And, and I mean, it True. wasn't just Tyler Shandro. After Shandro came out, we had, we had Saskatchewan and Manitoba also come out and say, wait a second, 
You know, we have issues with response times in our rural detachments. We have issues with people being able to access police. And now you want to come out and say, we're going to take these officers and they're going to go and anyone who's got a registration for this firearm, we're going to send these officers out to all these houses. What, like, what about the break-ins? What about the property crime True. that's going on in, in our rural communities? Why is the, why are we going to prioritize the RCMP for that? I know that this is, that some of this all has to be worked out. I understand that there's a meeting yeah. of justice ministers with the federal counterpart next week. Um, and so some of the, the, ins and outs of all this are going to be worked out. But the, the, the provinces do have a point when it comes to allocation of police resources, because I'm sure many listeners understand that there are issues with getting police to where you are when you need them in smaller communities. Dave, I'm running out of time. Thanks so much, as always, for joining me. We'll look forward to seeing what you have to say about uh, tomorrow night's leadership race results. Excellent. Thanks, Ben.